Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Lungo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well. And on today's topic, this week, we are back to talk about something a little different from usual, where we cover the digital space that we're in right now. Um, and in fact, we're recording this episode virtually. So, you know, this is probably very on topic and it's going to be fun to talk about. Um, so we're talking about preserving professional identities, enhancing well-being online. I never thought this could be a topic, but um, indeed, it has become one. So um, today I'm keen to find out more about this topic with our guest um, who's joining us virtually from the States. So today in our virtual studio, we have Peter Naj, who is a media scholar working at Arizona, Arizona State University as a lecturer. Um, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Peter, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, you nailed it. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad. Oof, uh, I, um, I'm glad when I can pronounce my yeah. guest name right, because we are a very global yeah. podcast. We have guests from all over the world. And um, I think you have a very interesting background to share with our audience as well, because um, you've been around um, and, you know, your educational background has been interesting too. Um, so please share a bit more about, um, you know, how you got to do the work that you're doing and especially why you got into it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, um, originally I'm from Hungary and, um, as a teenager, I thought I would become a psychologist and I realized that that's my passion. That's my interest. So I studied psychology at a Hungarian university, but later realized that I'm more interested in something else that has more to do with marketing and consumer behavior. So I had my PhD in uh, management. Um, with a specialization in marketing. And then um, I realized that, hmm, there's something else I'm interested in that, that is the online world, uh, video games, virtual worlds, um, professional networking sites, or just social media. And uh, I did a postdoctoral research fellowship at uh, Central European University. Um, and um, that's how I realized that my passion really is... Um, in digital media. And then I applied for another postdoctoral research uh, fellowship at Arizona State University. I got it. I came to the US in 2016. And um, and now I'm primarily working as a lecturer. So I'm teaching a lot of classes, but I'm also doing research on social media. So it's been a journey. Um, and I always tell my students here that you never know where you end up being. <laughs> you just do your uh, thing and then suddenly you live in the U.S. Uh, so, <laughs> but no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do your thing and then suddenly you live in the U.S. That's that's kind of like a, I don't know, it, it sounds like a university advertisement, you know. Yeah. Um, do your thing and live in the U.S. Yeah, sound, sounds like it, but it's fun. Thank you for sharing that. What an interesting journey. Uh, I feel like this space nowadays has become so much more interesting, right? The social media space. And um, today we're talking about online professional identities, which is also a whole other world in itself. Uh, you know, I also am not from Australia. I moved here about six years ago. And, you know, when I moved here, I, I found out about LinkedIn and I was like, whoa, what's that? That's interesting. Never thought that I would use such a thing and never thought we would have this separate world where we just show our professional side. And then what does that mean as well? You know, like, do we separate ourselves completely from, you know, other aspects of ourselves and just talk about work? And I have found that it hasn't been like that. Um, but I know we probably will talk about so much more than just, uh, you know, the LinkedIn social network um, side today. So we'll go into that in a little bit. Before we do, we're going to have a fun section we called Have You Met Peter? where I'm going to ask you a series of questions to get some of your recommendations and hopefully our audience can get to know you better. First question is, what is a book you would recommend? 
Mm, that's a tough one. Uh, you you have a lot of t- tough questions uh, for me. Uh, I would say uh, the autobiography of Red by Anne Carson, and she is a Canadian poet. And this is a wonderful book, uh, a reimagination of basically a Greek myth. And um, it's about um, Jerrion, who is a red-winged monster living on an island with other humans. And he tries to fit in, but he cannot. And this is um, an amazing, I love that. I I think I read that book like four times or five times already. Oh, wow. Wow. It does amazing. sound interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of that book before. Is that fiction? Yes, it is. It okay. is. Okay. And right. she's amazing. I recommend all her poems and books. She's okay, a- great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Next one. What is a movie you would recommend? Well, it has to be something from the Cohen brothers. Um, I love them. And I think it would be Inside Lewin Davis, uh, starring Oscar Isaac. And I, I like that actor quite a bit. And it's in the 60s and he's a folk singer. And he wants to um, pursue a career in singing. But he keeps running into obstacles. And mm. this is um, this movie is fun, but in a in a dark way. And oh. that did a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's it's oh. fun. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. We're getting a very diverse range of recommendations from you. I like that. Um, next one. You're our guest today. Um, and I'm wondering if you listen to any podcasts at all. I do. And I have one favorite um, by uh, Dr. Raquel Martin. She's a psychologist, a clinical psychologist in the U.S., and she has Mind Your Mental podcast. And she covers a lot of topics about how to manage our mental health properly. And I heard about her from a student of mine. So I didn't started uh, listening uh, to that podcast like two years ago. And um, I've been enjoying it quite a lot. And I learned a lot. Yeah. Look at you learning new things from your student. That's great. Um. Next question, who is your role model? Now, this could be a famous person or someone from your circle, so more like a personal role model. Um, yeah, so I'm going to choose a person who is still alive. Um, um, this is another tough question, by the way, because there's so many, but it has to be uh, the Ethiopian-American AI researcher, Timni Gebru, and she is doing amazing work on uh, the ethical use of AI. And um, she writes a lot of articles that are easy to understand for the public too. And she's on many TV shows now. And she gets the attention that she deserves. She's she's amazing. Yeah, okay. I've also never heard of her before. So thank you for that. Learning a lot of new stuff today. Final question in this part. What is a course you've completed that left a really strong impact on you? So there has to be here in the States, uh, as a postdoc, I um, completed a course on science communication, how to communicate by complex ideas and translate them to uh, using normal language. Because as scientists, we often struggle with um, talking about our research in a way that other people understand. So that (laughs) helped me a lot. And it was tough. It was challenging, but it was also highly, highly rewarding. And I learned, yeah. I truly learned a lot. Course. Yeah, that, that's great. Because you know what, like, it's been uh, an interesting observation of mine, I get to talk to um, quite a few academics on, on our different uh, shows. And sometimes it is true, it can be quite hard to understand what you guys are talking about, because it's very technical. Um, and so I'm glad that course exists. And hope hopefully all of the uh, scientists and researchers and um, especially uh, people who uh, have done extensive work in areas that are very technical can go through. So, you know, the ideas can be conveyed in much simpler words. I really love that. Okay, now let's talk about preserving professional identities, enhancing well-being online. This is, I think, a very interesting topic to me because I've never thought it could be a topic to talk about. You know, we definitely talk about our, you know, online identities, our professional identities in general, but to kind of mesh the two together, I don't think it is a topic that we talk about very often. Um, I know for a fact that me and my friends and and my colleagues in general, we don't talk about this very often. We don't mention it. I I don't think so. So, Yeah, I, I find that 
today we'll probably learn a thing or two, uh, some new things, hopefully. Um, before we go into talking about digital identity and online professional identities, let's talk about well-being because that's what we're here for. This is why the, the show exists. So Peter, what does well-being mean to you? So that's another tough question. Uh, how much time do we have? Uh, but I will- <laughs> We have all day, as let's a, go. <laughs> I, I will approach it as a psychologist. And um, if I have to answer this question and by like just in a short answer, with a short answer, I would say feeling good and doing well. Um, so it's feeling, but also doing. So it's not just something that you um, feel inside your body, but also other people can tell. Um, that's what it means to me. But it also about coping with difficulties and challenges in your life, bouncing back when you face difficulties. And I also want to add that it this is a deeply personal concept. So it can mean so many different things to so many people. And uh, for some, um, it's easier to do. And for other, uh, it's more challenging given certain circumstances, like they have difficult, but like maybe they have um, disabilities or, or they have just a really tough time in their life. So um, it's a complex thing, but it also means to me two things, feeling and doing. Mm, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's a, a different definition today that we've got on this show uh, because, I mean, well-being is a complex thing, right? And it has a lot of different aspects. And a lot of the guests uh, mention, um, you know, physical well-being, mental well-being and emotional well-being, which is like the standard thing that we probably hear quite often. But I really like that you combine the feeling with the doing part because that is true. You know, when I think about the my sense of well-being, for example, I would think about... Um, how I feel and how that feeling is sort of impacting on my behavior on the day to day. Um, because you know how I think, um, on one of the episodes before, I'm not sure if it's on this show or on another show that we have here at LMSL, but we talked about emotions and it's interesting how our emotions can impact, uh, you know, the way that we carry out our days. Right. Um, because when you're not feeling great, you're not doing anything that is going to enhance it. It's kind of like a vicious cycle when you're in a deep, dark place and you're kind of like, I don't really want to do anything. I think a lot of people can relate to this, right? Oh, I feel tired today. I don't really want to clean the house. And then the house becomes a mess. And then the next day you feel bad and then you don't want to clean again. So it is true. You know, it's a combination of feeling and doing. Um, and the feeling kind of leads to the doing too. But I think uh, sometimes the opposite can also be true. You know, the doing can lead to the feeling. Like, you know, when you're actually taking care of yourself, um, when you're not feeling great, then you'll essentially feel better through those actions, which is good because we need to, you know, we need to find our balance. It's it's hard to just sit there and, and say, I'm going to do better when I feel better. Not really. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So any comments? Yes. Um, well, you summarized it quite well, I would say. <laughs> um, people always focus on the physical and mental health part, but they're just two pieces of the puzzle, I would say. There's the emotional aspect that you mentioned, and there are other aspects like financial security or occupational security. It's difficult to feel good about yourself when you uh, have a terrible time at work. When you spend more, most of it, right? So it sounds logical, but we often forget about these important, other important factors. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we spend so much time at work. Well, when you think about it, you know, more than, I mean, maybe a little less than half of the time you're awake. But for some people, it's, and I think for most of us, we we work more than the hours allocated anyway, which means we probably spend more than half of our waking hours working or thinking about work. So. That's why today's topic is super important. Um, and I know you probably have your own biases and preference when it comes to talking about well-being because you, you know, you're in that um, media space. And we're also talking about professional identity today. Um, and so my next question is related to misconceptions about well-being. I'm guessing you'll probably cover something that has to do with the use of social media, you know, like our identities online. Um, and considering that you've worked with, you know, lots of students, you've done a lot of research. 
What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you think people have about well-being? Well, first, that it's not just mental and physical health. And the other thing that is very important, and people often miss it, I think, that, and but you said it so well, that it's a driver of change and also an outcome. So it's not just an outcome that check, I'm doing well, check, I'm doing, um, I'm going to the gym every day, check, I'm ha I have enough money, check. So it's not something that there's a list and now everything is checked, now I'm feeling good. But it's also something that you said that um, it, when you feel good about yourself, you do things that spark, spark joy in your life. And it's a cyclical, in a cyclical fashion that will affect how you feel about yourself. So it's like a, a circle that can go really well. And sometimes it can be really bad. Like you said, then I don't feel like I'm, I'm cleaning up uh, my apartment today. Uh, tomorrow I will feel bad about that. And it will lead to something really chaotic and just bad at some point. Um, so, so that that is important to to acknowledge, I think, and also, and I just want to repeat myself here. It's it's a personal thing. Um, it it means so many different things to so many different people, but um, social aspects are always there. Like we say here, it takes a village, right? Um, yeah. Without our family and friends, and we cannot be happy in this world. Some of us, like myself, uh, are introverted. So we don't meet that many people. Some people, like extroverted people, they need a little bit more maybe. But then again, we all need some sort of social uh, connectedness. And that's what COVID-19 also taught us, I think, that we crave this and we need this so badly. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's, it's been years and we're still talking about it. So clearly there's something there. Um, I, I guess, you know, one of the things about COVID and kind of, you know, interesting that we'll probably touch on that today is we thought, okay, this is this is it. Like, <laughs> life's not gonna go ahead. We're not gonna have any connection. But in fact, a lot of beautiful connections emerge thanks to the use of you know social media or just you know the internet in in general. Um, and we're in we're living in a time where that is possible. You know, there it's a, it's definitely a double-edged sword. We all know that. Um, I don't think it is that um, hard to decipher at this point because there's there's so many articles, documentaries, and um, you know, TV series that sort of outline you know the the downside of it. Um, but I think it's still important to remind ourselves that you know that we don't just have our you know, physical identity and like our bodies right here. We have, um, you know, interactions with people and we exist out, out there too. And that is so weird. You know, when you think about it, it was like Peter, Peter here. Yeah. But you have a Peter online somewhere as well. Um, and you kind of, in a way, you don't just manage yourself in the real world. You kind of manage yourself in a whole different world where technically it doesn't exist. Um, and so let's talk about that part of our identity. You know, what is digital identity? And uh, specifically, how would you also cover our online professional identities? Um, so that's another great question. And and um, as a social scientist, I have um, an answer. It comes from psychology and, and media studies. But from a purely technical standpoint, it's basically your personal identity is all the traces that you leave um, online or in your computer. So your email address or, or email account in this sense, social media profile, including your LinkedIn profile. These are all your di digital identity. But from a social science perspective, I would add that this is, and, and you already mentioned this is so important that how you manage your persona, your identity online. So that's an important aspect. Uh, you cannot see um, the person in real life when you interact with that person online, right? And that's important how I'm able to manage your, uh, my, how I manage myself, how I present myself, and what your impression is about my, my, me. So that's why I would ask, add that digital identity is more than just your accounts and the sum of your accounts and profiles. Also, uh, you know, strategies that you um, employ online when you talk to people, when you present yourself, or when you just being online. Um, 
And uh, this is something that I've been doing research on for so long and it's still so much work to do uh, because it's yeah. to, uh, while we talk about this a lot in media and I think a lot of researchers do work on this important um, aspect of digital identity, how we present ourselves, uh, the impact of technologies are on well-being and identity and so forth. And yet there's so much work to do. Yeah. That is so true. I mean, the the more we engage in this online space, the more work to do, um, because we're just going to keep leaving traces and there are new things happening all the time, you know, new inventions and um, new ways to interact. Uh, I think it get, it's getting a, a little bit too overwhelming in a way. And I think for a very long time, like I just stopped using LinkedIn altogether because it gets really overwhelming. And also I think like the the mental space you're in is important. You know, sometimes you just do not want to engage in any um, platforms simply because of how you're feeling and how you're engaging with others. So, you know, on the one hand, we know that there, there are heaps of benefits when it comes to managing our digital identity well. But then on the other hand, we also know that if it's not well managed, it's going to damage your mental health, emotional well-being. Um so in the context of this conversation, obviously we're covering uh, both digital identity and online professional identities. Uh, what are some of the benefits that you know managing it well can have on our well-being? Um, that's a great question, and I, I like to add, and I like to quote Dana Boyd, who is a media researcher here in the states. She said, and I think that summarizes it so well, that the internet magnifies the good and the bad. So in terms of benefits, there are so many um, out there, but it's, well, we will cover that later of the drawbacks, but it's so important to talk about uh, them together. Um, but in terms of, I mean, the benefits and the drawbacks. So in terms of benefits, I think uh, social connectedness. And you said that already, we couldn't talk if we didn't have internet. We couldn't yeah. have this conversation if we didn't have a camera and um, a laptop and so forth. So yeah. this is great. We can meet um, online. You will live in Australia. I live in the States. Um, how how many hours it takes to fly there? 16 hours maybe? I don't know. Uh, but so, I actually don't know. Right? So uh, we don't have to be on the plane, which is really great, uh, considering yeah. that flying is very stressful right now, uh, can be very stressful right now. And so this allows us to do so many things, connect uh, with other people, build a social support system for ourselves. Yeah. And for a lot of people who cannot really, who don't have the um, luxury that able-bodied people have, for instance, people with disabilities, physical disabilities, truly this is the only way that they can connect. So um, I am very lucky that I'm able-bodied, I can walk, and I can do a lot of physical activities, um, and so I can meet people offline. But um, if I was less fortunate, the internet would be the only space where I can make those connections. Um, and this is true for professional um, purposes too, uh, because, and again, I'm going to talk about COVID, uh, that when, co because of COVID, everything was shut down, we had to work from home. And um, this allowed us to do a lot of things, including working from our bed. So we don't have to um, go to the office or we can just have to wear like a t-shirt or um, maybe a nice outfit uh, on our body. Nobody can see, yes, I'm wearing my pajamas <laughs> maybe. Um, and uh, that's that's great um, flexibility and a little bit of, little bit of freedom, right? On yeah. the other hand, like you said, it can be so overwhelming too. So for a lot of people, it didn't really work out because they wanted to be in a physical space. They wanted to interact with people uh, offline. Um, but this is, um, again, a double-edged sword, like you already said, that it's a blessing for some and it's a curse for others. Um, so flexibility, freedom, um, social connectedness, and also something that we don't talk um, about enough, I think, is that uh, I have time to think about what I post online. I have I can edit the videos. I can take a break. I don't have to sit in the same room with other people. I can leave or I can say that let's take a break. So again, giving more um, options and this way 
empowering your agency, your sense of agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I think we are in control. It's just that sometimes we forget or we get overwhelmed and then we we kind of lose that control a little bit. But um, again, it's about how you interact and how you manage yourself, right? Because like anything else, it's a matter of choice. I don't think we are in the backseat. It's just, um, it, it gets blurry sometimes, the line, you know, because we're out there um, interacting in the online space, especially as professionals. Um, I know that a lot of people are interested in, you know, in sort of presenting themselves in a different light or um, making new, try to make new connections online, which is great. Uh, but then sometimes it gets a bit too much and they forget about actually engaging um, in a meaningful way. And I feel like that's the main challenge really um, because, you know, we can keep building this virtual presence where we're portraying ourselves in a certain way um, and then we forget to actually nurture that identity in, in the real world. So I think it's a it's a matter of balancing both because um, I feel like it's so much easier nowadays to post something than to reach out to someone and have a conversation about it you know, like a professional topic, right? Um, I know a lot of people are posting more and more about work-life balance or mental health at work or, you know, promoting what they're working on, which is great. But I think we have probably forgotten the, the about the benefit of storytelling and actually making the connections. Um, and yes, we are very lucky to have this space, but what about interacting in the real world and talk about what you're passionate about? That's tougher. Yeah, so I think managing that balance is is tricky. Um, so I think to me, that's one of the challenges that I've noticed when it comes to our online professional identity. Um, I, I noticed that there were times when I really enjoyed sharing all these things online, um, but I also feel like it doesn't nurture the connections because I, I think what you mentioned earlier, you, you said it's not just about... Um, the traces of your different accounts on the internet. It's like all the sum of all your interactions and beyond that. Um, and in fact, sometimes we forget that we actually have a professional identity where we are, you know, whether it be in that community of, of professionals that you work in or could be your local area. What are some of the other challenges that you think people are currently facing when it comes to that? Because, you know, this is just one of the many challenges that I can see for myself. Um, sometimes I forget. And, you know, now since we're on the topic, what are some of the other ones that we should look out for? Oh, there's so many. Um, it's exhausting to be online. And I think it goes back oh, to what sure. you said that it's diff- different to talk to someone offline when I can see their um, face, body language, and uh, it feels natural. As, yeah. as opposed to talking over Zoom or over uh, Messenger or something else. It's exhausting because technology is not perfect and we have to pay attention and our brain gets exhausted so quickly. So there's this one, sensory overload, uh, overwhelming. Um, it's uh, very exhausting. The second go- uh, thing goes, the second part of this answer goes back to what you said that um, being on the internet all the time is exhausting too. We receive emails, we receive notifications. They are um, competing for attention and we cannot um, stop. We have to see who sent us a message. So it's very difficult to set up a boundary between our professional um, life and private life um, and online and offline life. So they bleed into each other. Uh, And the third one, um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work of writing emails, talking to people, um, setting up uh, meetings. It's a lot of, lot of extra work. And that's the irony of this whole online uh, professional networking topic is that they say so easy and yet it's so difficult to do because of these, all these different factors, technology being overwhelmed um, or just, you know, um, a lot of work, extra work that I have to do uh, on top of my actual work that I have to do. Yeah. Um, as, you know, as a lecturer, but I um, it's the sa- same goes to other people. If you work as an educator, I think one day I receive around 80 emails from my students that I have to respond. And sometimes those questions are great. And sometimes those questions are um, more challenging to answer. And yeah. sometimes those are just 
questions that don't really require my answer. They just want to tell me what was going on in their life, but still I have to read them. And then it take, took two hours. Yeah, true, true. It can be overwhelming, especially when it's so easy to reach people, you know, you just at the click of a button. It's, it's not like um, you, you got to schedule a call or, you know, schedule a coffee and, and just kind of, you know, weave through different stages to get to talk to the person. Um, and in a way, it's kind of, it's been a little weird for me too, because I, I have been able to reach people that I never thought I could, you know, get in touch with. Uh, and at the same time, I get messages from the, the the most random people, you know, professionally. Could be in your email, on your email inbox, or could be on your LinkedIn. Um, and I find that it's a very tough space to navigate when you're trying to be yourself, right? Because as a professional, um, I'm sure everyone is on their own career journey where they are figuring out what they want to do. And sometimes that means it's better for you to meet the right people so you can sort of bounce idea, get inspiration from and um, learn from them even. But because everyone is so easy to reach, no one is, you know, because everyone is overwhelmed. Like you said, it can be a lot, right? Like you can receive um, 80 emails, uh, which would take you hours to go through. Um, similarly speaking, someone who is probably a, a really great potential mentor that you identify on the internet, you know, you want to reach out to them. They are going through the same thing, perhaps, you know, a hundred other people are also reaching out to them for mentorship or getting advice. So it's kind of like this really hard um, space to navigate so that you can be authentic. You can reach out to these people while building your online presence because it's it's so important. I, I know some people do not use LinkedIn at all, which is very interesting. Um, they are only reachable via email, which is kind of old school, but I think it's, it's kind of cool in a way because it's more like... Um, it would be super cool to receive an email saying, hi, I really admire your work or I really want to get in touch with you to collaborate um, compared to a random request on LinkedIn with no background message whatsoever. But I have found that for myself, it's kind of hard to build this authentic presence because sometimes I want to reach out to other professionals that um, might be able to give me advice. Uh, but then, like I said, I'm guessing they probably have hundreds or thousands of other people that reach out to them in the same way. And so how can we manage this in a way that would allow us to, you know, authentically portray ourselves, um, you know, with our online presence so that we can make meaningful interactions? Mm -hmm. um, and that's another great question. I think um, I like to approach it from um, from perspective as an edu uh, uh, of a pr perspective of, of the educator here. I teach a lot of students and I teach a lot of students from business school and they are always expected to have a LinkedIn profile, yet nobody nobody teaches them how to create a LinkedIn profile. Oh, you, you just go there, create an account, um, add some information and magic happens and it's done. Yeah. And suddenly you have 500 connections and yeah. um, they are always baffled and confused so they don't know how to do this. and they fall into this trap that, oh, I just take a look at other profiles and I do what other people do. So instead of being authentic, they create a profile that reads like the other LinkedIn profiles. And and those people who are on LinkedIn, I, I think they know what I'm talking about here, that all these posts, all these profiles, they look the same. They just have a different picture, always use the same words. It's almost like one person's... Uh, writes all these different posts. Yeah. So finding authenticity there, um, it's difficult because nobody tells you what to do there. Nobody gives you advice. If you're lucky, you can meet, of course, mentors and people who actually know how to create a good LinkedIn profile, but it's rare in my experience. So you have to do a lot of extra work, a lot of homework, if you will. Um, you have to look up resources. You have to watch videos on YouTube and another websites that can explain how to do this um, correctly, correctly. And again, I use this word, but there's no one way to do it. And that's what makes it so difficult. So I think um, finding your voice there, it's it takes a lot of time. And I think you have to be compassionate and you have to be patient with yourself. Yeah. Results will not get in a, an hour, even if you send out 500 emails and connect with other people. 
uh, for a number of reasons, like they have their own work to do, so they will get back to you later. But, and I will say this, using your technical skills can make it so much easier. Um, mm. um, I mean, it can make everything easier on the internet. So it's yeah. not, really, um, um, not really a revelation here. But knowing how LinkedIn works, the algorithms work there, what hashtags to use, how to curate your own feed, how to set up reminders, how to create content that the algorithm will like. Um, that's that's what makes someone really effective when it comes mm-hmm. to their LinkedIn presence. And it comes again with a lot of um, time, a lot of patience and a lot of knowledge. And yeah. just to make it even worse, each platform is dif- different. So LinkedIn is different than Twitter, excuse me, X. Uh, it, was re- it has been recently renamed as X. That is a def- diff- different topic. So it's not that, oh, now I have a LinkedIn profile and I can create an online persona everywhere. No, you actually have to adopt this persona to other platforms. That's so interesting. When you said Twitter has now been renamed as X, yeah. so see, like all these platforms are changing too, yes. right? And it's LinkedIn. not even like, yeah, it's not just how you use the platform. It's also uh, mm-hmm. how to stay updated with all these changes. It's yeah, it's a lot to keep up to date. I mean, I personally myself, I find it overwhelming just just keep up with LinkedIn. I don't even use X like Twitter, but. Yeah, I, I've heard things about it. It's just so interesting to <laughs> keep up with these things. Um, and when we were talking about that, I, I thought of something else. So I know we've touched on um, platforms like LinkedIn, X or Twitter, but there's another form to showcase your professional identity online, which is through portfolios. And this could be through blogs. Um, you know, um, I know that um, I think, how do they call themselves? Uh, what are these people that do codes? Gosh, I have forgotten how to explain this. Um, programmers, uh, programmers, programmers, they use like all these different platforms where they can showcase the coding that they've done um, as well. So all I'm trying to say is there are so many different ways you can present your professional identity online. Um, and so it's like a lot of different streams to manage, you know, um, and Sometimes we don't have the the knowledge just to start because we could easily build a, a new way of showcasing our portfolio somewhere else, um, but we probably just get too overwhelmed to even try, right? And so what would be your advice to those people that are kind of looking for new innovative ways to showcase their work, but it's just probably a little lost and overwhelmed? I think it's always good to take a look at resources. If you're a college student, um, your college probably has resources. Uh, so use them. You're already there. Uh, make sure that you ask questions and they can show you resources and how, like step-by-step um, documents, how to set up your LinkedIn profile, what to pay attention to. The other thing is, um, and that might sound a little bit weird, but imagine your audience. Imagine who you want to talk to. Like, are you um, um engineer who's looking for an engineering job? Um, maybe you have to create a portfolio website where you can showcase your work and connect it with your LinkedIn uh, profile and use the same language so they can find you. Um, and also be literate in a way that what is the, what are hashtags, what are some features that the algorithm has there so you can make sure that your content stands out. Um, and sometimes it has nothing to do with the originality that you have or how wonderful your work is. It all goes back to what hashtags you use and um, and other random, basically random factors. But these all make a big difference. And the third one, um, reaching out to people. And it is exhausting and it is a lot of work, but writing a lot of emails. And at some point, someone will answer you. And mm-hmm. um, like a lot of people say that nobody will take you seriously as long as you're not being, uh, if you're not annoying to some extent, right? So you don't. <laughs> Let them close the door on you. You yeah. go back. Actually, I have a question. Can I talk to you? And eventually it will work. But again, it's a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of rejection. So going back to our initial topic, well-being, it all also goes back to how well you manage stress 
and how man, well you were able to uh, bounce back from these challenges that you will face and we all face in the professional yeah. world and not just in the professional world. Yeah, that's so true. It it can easily distract us from other things we are doing in life too, you know, if we get too sucked into it. Uh, but at the same time, we can also very much easily give up when we find it challenging. Like, you know, I, I think everyone can probably relate to, um, you know, setting up their first profile or portfolio and kind of not knowing where to start. How am I going to keep this up? But then once you get into the rhythm, you can you can just kind of feel it in your sort of like your own system where you have um, like a purpose to, do, to, to kind of go with it, right? Because we, I don't think um, it's going to be that impactful if you just go with the flow and set up a profile just because everybody else is doing it. Um, your online presence matters. So I think it's also about what you want to achieve with it. And uh, you're so right in saying that there are resources. We need to understand what we are doing because if we don't know what we're trying to achieve, then it's probably going to be just like the thousand other profiles that people are going to see. So, yeah, that's a good point. And, and it's okay to say, uh, start with that. I created my first profile. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> I learned more and I yeah. the feedback I got from other people and I made yeah. it better. So it's yeah. like a, it's an unfinished project. It, you never really finish. Ongoing. Yeah, it's ongoing. You got to reevaluate it uh, all the time, especially when there's so many changes, right? And there's so many trends all the time. I'm like, I find it hard to keep up and I'm not that old, you know? <laughs> um, and I find that, you know, the younger generation, they're just like really on point with keeping up with things. Uh, but they're probably going to get overwhelmed at some point because, you know, the next thing and the next things that are going to come out and that's going to confuse us. So, what are some of the trends in the future um, that you think will will be there? You know, when it comes to digital identity, you know, online uh, professional identity, and you know, preserving it and and keep making sure that we keep our well being online. What are some of the trends that we should look out for? I think everything that was trendy twenty years ago are are trendy again. Um, so looking at the metaverse, the concept, whatever that is, because it's still like we still don't know what they mean by that. Yeah. Uh, um, so let's see what happens when they are finally done with the works. But back, like when I was doing my PhD, I was doing research on Second Life. I'm that old. Uh, so I remember Second Life was a virtual world that was very popular 20, well, 15 years ago. Um, and a lot of people were there. And I will use that example, uh, what I encountered there, because this is a thing again. So there I met a professor from the States who um, got um, into an accident and he, is com he was completely paralyzed. And, uh, but he was, his passion was teaching. He was a law professor. And he created an avatar in a classroom in Second Life where he was a law professor and he could teach other students for free. Um, and it was the, that was 15 years ago or maybe even, that was a long time ago, it was really popular a lot of students uh, joined him or created a student avatar, a virtual um, identity um, there. And this is a thing that they talk about again, that we're going to teach and live our professional life in a 3D world. We don't know whether that's different than what we used to have, we'll see. Um, so that's a trend I can see that they want to, a lot of companies, in, including Meta, want to launch their own metaverse where people can work together and it's a 3D version of LinkedIn and, um, and other platforms. We'll see, uh, because we still don't know anything uh, concrete. So we'll see. Uh, another trend is AI related to artificial intelligence. So, I mean, you have to live under the rock not to hear about ChatGPT and other applications that um, everybody seems to talk about on LinkedIn and as for two. Um, so artificial intelligence can help us create a lot of profiles. It can edit documents for us. But uh, going back to our initial point that whether it's authentic, that's a different question though. Because if it creates the same documents at some point, there will be similarities and, um, you know, can lead us like, um, hmm, I read this before. Uh, but on the other hand, it can be really good and helpful in, in a way that people, when, especially when they don't know how to start how creating the digital identity 
how to um, manage their digital identity online, ChatGPT and other applications can be super helpful because then they will not be stressed out. And again, going back to well-being, it's important, right, to to have a relatively stress um, a, a life that with like low stress level. That's uh, usually a healthy thing to do. Um, so artificial intelligence will definitely bring a lot of changes or already making a lot of changes. And I think also virtual reality, um, um, these new glasses, uh, Apple just announced these new 3D glasses that can oh, yeah. us live in a, in a technologically mediated vert, mediated vert. So that will likely change how we interact with each other. But then again, these are just predictions. So we still don't know what they actually, how they actually work and what they actually mean. We can make mm. predictions, but we don't know uh, what yeah. they will bring. Yeah, I think it's it's constantly changing, but um, I have found that nothing can truly replace um, the power of, you know, like a discussion with your colleague um, or networking in person. It's just so different. I mean, we had to make do with uh, Zoom catch-ups and um, Zoom events during the pandemic, and that was the only way that we could stay connected. So obviously we were really excited to, you know, hop on any of those trends, uh, but it can be exhausting, you know, like we've discussed it, right? It can be exhausting and overwhelming to be online all the time. And sometimes you just want to, you know, shut down your computer and grab a coffee with your colleague or grab a coffee with someone that you want to connect with um, rather than, you know, oh, let's do a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. God, I don't want to do that. And we don't want the professional life and our private life to bleed into each other. Because that's not healthy, and that's really it can be really bad yeah, on our baby, right? But it's very difficult to separate the two um, because we are always available, we are always online. People can text us, people can um, Slack us if you use yeah. that management software, yeah. right? Well, yeah, it, it's um, easy to say, difficult to do. Totally. I mean, what what I do with my team is just to tell them, please delete Slack and Teams off your phone. Do not engage in that after work hours. Like I have, I mean, I have a separate work phone, which is, you know, something that I have to do for myself to kind of separate the professional identity from my personal lives and personal identity uh, outside of work. But uh, a lot of my colleagues have said that, you know, they have it on all the time and they just have notifications turned on. I'm like, why are you doing that to yourself? That is exactly what you were talking about. It's bleeding into their personal lives and it's affecting them and their mental health. And that's not something that we want because, um, you know, the easier it is to reach people, the easier it is to for people to burn out. Really? Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's it's very important because then it's, I guess, again, goes back to well-being, the concept of well-being, that it's an outcome and a drive, right? So um, if I don't... Um, can set up boundaries between my work. I will feel bad about myself, which will lead to burnout, less productivity. So um, it again, it's um, it's um, it can be a vicious circle for sure. Yeah. Um, we have to be careful about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, thank you for that. And you know, a final thing is uh, obviously we've covered a lot of the theory, um, and and we've kind of touched on some examples, but. Um, I'm sure our audience would love to walk away with some practice and habit that is more practical for them or something small they can start with today. Um, because for a lot of us, we don't pay attention to these things until they kind of, you know, like have some bad impact on us. Um, so what would be a practice that you personally use to preserve your you know, professional identities in a way that would enhance your well-being online? Setting up um, time limits. So okay. I'm chronically online and um, um, under COVID, it was really bad, like really, really bad. I spent way too much time on the internet looking for news, right? Um, And um, so I realized that I have to be mindful about this practice and I want to make sure that it doesn't get overwhelmed. So for for that, I created um, um, a schedule, a daily schedule that works for me. And again, it's, we're all different. So uh, it's not universal truth. But what I find really useful is that creating like 15 or maximum 20 minutes of online um, um, interactions when I check on LinkedIn, answer some um, messages, 
connect with other people, write a new message, and then I close it. Uh, and there's a timer because I would be very bad if there was no timer because I yeah. would lose track of time, right? We yeah. all do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and then when 20 minutes that mark hits, I close my LinkedIn and I will uh, revisit it um, later afternoon for another 20 minutes around 4 p.m. And mm -hmm. when I get a coffee or when I take a short break, um, I don't do LinkedIn or any professional networking when I'm walking or enjoying uh, my free time. When I'm mm -hmm. around friends, I will not check on LinkedIn. So there's another boundary yeah. I set up. Yeah. But I think it can be really transforming when you set up a timer and you measure time there, 20, 15 minutes, whatever works best for you. Uh, so I think this is something that worked really well for me. And I tried so many other things that those did not work. Mm. So this, this can really make a big difference. And you said another thing that I try to do, deleting apps from my phone. Mm. So there's my work laptop, there's my laptop where I get notifications, but I make sure that those applications are not on my phone. So I will not get those notifications and I will be stressed out. I have to check out and that will lead us, lead me to spend way too much time on the internet, which I don't yeah. want to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's good. You know, we should all um, ditch our phones when we can. And the last thing we want is to you know, let our professional lives eat into our personal lives with all those notifications. I mean, it's good to keep your online presence. So I, I really like the fact that you said you set a timer and you have 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. That's really good. I'll try that. I'll put that into my calendar, actually. It'll be good to schedule it. Um, and and another thing, uh, it worked for me. I can say that hopefully it will work for others too. And it, and again, it's not rocket science. I know uh, it's a simple thing, but it can work and make a make a dip, big difference. And another thing, when I set up meetings, I follow research, and research says that it should be twenty minutes or fifty five. Hmm. If it's a topic, fifty five. So you have five minutes until another meeting starts, right? So you will not be late. You can go to a restroom, get some water, eat a little bit of snack, and that's it. And twenty minutes is usually good to cover one simple topic and um, and that should be fine. If it's a big thing, a big um, hands-on meeting, 55 minutes should be enough too. If it's not, you can set up a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a, with a person that you actually want to talk to. So that mm. uh, looking at time um, is very, very important. And we often, yeah. often think it's not, but it is. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. I'll apply that with my team. Thank you. Um, so those are all of our questions for the practical part of, as well. Um, and now it's all about you. We have open mic, which is your uh, sort of a mini TED talk stage uh, where you can talk about anything you're passionate about. So yeah, take it away, Peter. Um, so right now, and it goes back to professional networking a little bit. Uh, I, right now I'm, I'm really interested in how AI changes our life and um, uh, through a lot of cases like uh, ChatGPT. And I'm talking about ChatGPT because my students and I think other students use it quite a lot. Uh, but um, I think they often not really sure what the company is really doing with ChatGPT. And what through my research, looking at um, online conversations, talking to people, um, and um, reading documents, uh, I realized that. People often talk about the products instead of talking about companies that are actually creating those products. And I found it eye-opening. Um, I, I saw a lot of things already when I was, uh, when I've been doing this research. I mean, I've been doing this research for 10 years, more than 10 years now. So I've seen a lot of the dark side of technology or these companies who create these technologies for us. But I'm always surprised that people, including myself, are not aware um, to the ex extent these companies are willing to go to collect our data, steal our data, uh, commodify our data, and uh, reuse our data without permission. And um, and um, we, I think we're all guilty of this, I am for sure. We never read uh, uh, terms like uh, the document before we terms just first want to use that uh, 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 the contracts right, and we make uh, we allow these companies. Um, well, we often don't have a choice because otherwise we cannot use this uh, product. 
uh, we allow these companies to 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 commodify our, our our data, private data, and that's why my colleague and I coined this term that uh, companies are invested in pre- presenting their products as magical entities. ChatGPT transform your life. It will change how you talk to people. It will change how you write essays. But in reality, what these tools are doing is basically doing simple tasks, um, sometimes well, sometimes not that well. And they can be helpful in certain cases. In most cases, they are not really doing anything at all. They are producing a document or information that is completely inaccurate. And then we have to do extra work to correct those mistakes. And um, that's why, why I, Michael and I, I were talking about this narrative device that these companies are creating about um, these magical technologies to sell them to us and make sure that we don't think about the shortcomings of these products or the privacy violations these products are committing on, uh, on us um, because they distract us. Hey, look over there. It's a magical thing. Don't look there because that's not one what we want you to talk about. So that's that's one thing that I really find interesting. And I think uh, this narrative, this magical narrative that these companies are creating about these AI products. And I think um, we need to do more research on this. And of course, um, to help us anticipate the changes and cope with the changes that will bring us on our life. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. And I think it, it hits home really hard. Um, when you when you talked about terms and conditions, that reminded me of Black Mirror. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the TV show. Um, I saw the new season recently. I, I haven't finished watching the whole new season, but the second episode, the first one? Or the second one? The first one, actually. The first one in the newest season was exactly that. It's a it's a it's a potential consequence of us not reading terms and conditions and basically signing our lives away. And now I'm a little scared because I don't know what I have signed. You know, if I have to go back to all of the terms and conditions that are available on all the different subscriptions and you know accounts that I've created, oh, man, oh man, I'm pretty sure I'll find something that I don't like. Um, and so yeah, I think it's like a a new age of being vigilant when it comes to our digital identity. Right? It's it can never be. Um, like you're too careful because you do not know what is in there. And it's so hard to manage because everything is online. Yeah. And you think you own your identity, but in reality, you don't really own that identity. Google allows you to create those accounts. Meta allows you to create a Facebook account. And LinkedIn allows you to create that profile uh, on their website. So um, it's, it's an interesting transitional space where I have my own identity but also I don't really own that identity. Yeah. As this kind of ambiguous feeling, ambiguous yeah. feeling that we often don't think about. Mm-hmm. And even if I read the terms and conditions and I don't want to sign them, I have to because otherwise I cannot use the product. So I yeah. don't. I have a choice, but also don't have a choice, right? Yeah, so that's, exactly. It's something that we have to be mindful about. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good reminder. Thank you for that. Um, I think it's been a really eye-opening conversation in terms of you know what 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 we're actually engaging in when we present ourselves online, and um, sometimes we forget. But it's so hard to manage and maintain these identities. Um, if you feel like different people at the same time, and you're just one person, right? Um, and it can get overwhelming sometimes. So I guess um, we should all go back to basic and remember where we started. Um, I, I think it's also a good time to check in with ourselves in terms of how we're feeling when we're online, because it's about well-being. It's not just, yeah, like we are online to do these things and staying connected. But if it's not giving you a very joyful experience, perhaps it's time to just log out. You know? And you can log out and you don't have to be there all the time. Exactly. There's the choice that you can make, right? Mm-hmm. And we feel that we cannot, but we actually can. And it's yes. easier uh, than what it seems. Uh, I'm a good example. I'm chronically online. I was chronically online all the time. It took some time and it was challenging, but you can do it. If I could do it, you can do it too. Sure. Yeah, we can all do that. Thank you for that reminder. Um, and before we let you go, if our audience would like to find out more about your work, where should they go? Well, um, I have a LinkedIn profile and um, um, they can see, uh, find me there. I have a very 
interesting name, which is unique in the US, but not really unique elsewhere. Uh, so it's like um, my Hungarian name is basically like Jack Smith um, mm-hmm. in, in, in Hungary. Uh, but they can find me um, on LinkedIn and um, I can share the link with you. I think it's probably easier than read it out loud. And yeah. the Twitter is at, at or X, excuse me. I was, you know what? I would say Twitter because <laughs> you think. Yeah, it's confusing. At Peter Naj, N A G Y 84. And they can find me there. Occasionally I tweet, but I mostly share other people's posts and connect with other people. I learn a lot. I, I really like Twitter. Well, mm-hmm. that's what's happening. Well, that's sad, but I really like Twitter in the past. And LinkedIn, they can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, um, yeah, because I'm there for 20 minutes every day. Uh, <laughs> but then I, I close it. And yeah. these are basically the social media sites or professional networking sites that I use. I'm not really into Instagram. And Facebook is also something that I find boring. So I try not to use it that much. Um, and uh, I have a website, which is uh, peternajnagyphd.com. It's a simple, fun website where I share, try to share my latest work so they can read some articles if they, um, the audience, if they want to learn more about my work. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks so much for sharing. And yeah, we'll make sure to link all of those in our description. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website, we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lungo. Thanks for tuning in.